Well, good evening, Hallows Church. My name is Bryant, Bryant Jones. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to open the word with you tonight as we delve into this next installment of our study in Genesis. If you're here tonight, uh, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be kind of exploring in summary fashion Genesis 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles provided in the seat back maybe in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to gift you with your copy of the Scriptures. We've got a set of Bibles out uh, at the welcome table, and we'd love to invite you uh, to receive one of those as you journey with Christ and study the Scriptures with us tonight and in the future as you open God's Word. As we've come to stand on the cusp of wrapping up this study, focusing on the origins of all things, we've come tonight wanting to pause and take a, what I like to describe, a 5,000-foot look over what we've kind of been experiencing all throughout uh, the first three chapters of Genesis. This, it's kind of been this pervasive, kind of subtle undertone, uh, but what we've been seeing in action is God's Word and more importantly, the power of God's word on display. The narrative shows Genesis chapter one, uh, all the way through chapter three, some 17 times God speaking. Over and over again, we see it written that, and God said, or, and the Lord God said, or the Lord God commanded. And what we notice is that when God speaks, things happen. You see, God is so powerful that the universe submits to the authority of his word. Like literally, the, the elements of the cosmos begin to form and bring into existence the very thoughts of his mind as he gives commands. But as we see this happen, let's, let's not let it not be lost on us tonight that the God of the Bible, as we come to the scriptures tonight, the God that we worship as we gather in this space to give praise to his name, the God who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns uh, us with steadfast love and mercy, according to Psalm 103, this God speaks. And more importantly, he speaks to us. That's significant. In speaking to us, God is revealing himself to us. He's showing us what he likes, he, what he is like. He is, he is showing us what brings his heart pleasure. And he also shows us what brings him displeasure. He wants us to know him. And in revealing himself, he chooses to do so by speaking. I think it's clear from the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke, God revealed himself to our fathers, to the, the forefathers of the Hebrew people. But in, this, in these last days, he has spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us. How? In the person of his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. And check this out, in light of Genesis, through whom he also created the world. I think a thing of first importance we want to establish as we delve into the study tonight is that Christ is the Word of God. If we're going to talk about the power of God's Word, we, we can't separate that from the power of Christ. John begins his gospel account by telling us that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the word. And the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God. John goes on to say that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was not only just with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
I think as we look at Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1, it becomes clear that the Trinity is present and active in the very beginning. Later in that passage in Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. So you have God the Father who is active and present, bringing about creation. God the Son who is his word. So as the Father speaks, literally things come into fruition and the Spirit of God is there present. He goes on to tell us that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Man, John, why you got to say it like that? I, I believe that's a high level form of John simply saying there is nothing that was created apart from the word. Everything was created through him. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians that by him, by Christ, by the word, all things were created and that all things were not only created through him, but they are created for him. This is the word, the power of the word that we're talking about. And he goes on to say that in him, all things hold together. If the word, if Christ were to cease to exist, everything would cease to exist. In him, all things hold together. So it goes without saying that we should not think at all in the same terms about our word and God's word. Because God's word, according to the writer of Hebrews, it's living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He is living and active. So one of the first things that we see when it comes to the power of God's word as we look through Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is that God's word creates. God's word creates. The first thing we see in Genesis is God bringing order from chaos. And how does he do it? By speaking. In Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, the stage is essentially set for what's about to go down. It says that in the beginning, God had already created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form and it was void. It was empty. So what, is, what does God do? He begins to create and he starts by speaking. He says, let there be light. Bam, light permeates. It illuminates the darkness, begins to flood the darkness. And what we see God begin to do as we walk through the passage is step by step as the narrative unfolds, day by day, God is bringing more and more order and structure to the earth, thereby beginning to fill the void, fill the emptiness. And he does it all through the power of his word. He establishes the rhythms of, of day and night. He separates the waters from above and beneath, making the sky. He, he establishes vegetation, trees, grass, fruit, uh, vegetables. He sets the sun and the moon and the stars in their orbits for the telling of time and seasons. He puts life in the waters and in the skies and on the land. And he does it all by the power of his word. Why? because he is making a hospitable home for what we will soon see as the pinnacle of his creation. Then God said, God spoke, let us make man in our image. Remember the, the Trinity is active in creation. Let us make man in our image. So on the sixth day of creation, the text says that God brought humanity into existence. Why? Because he wanted us to bear his image on the earth. But when he did this, he did something completely different this time than what he's done in creation so far. Everything that's been created, everything that's been brought into existence thus far, days one through five, we'll say, has been spoken into existence. 
But when he says, let us make man in our image, Genesis chapter two, verse seven tells us that God formed the man of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. No other aspect of creation has God formed with his hands, so to speak. No other aspect of creation has God breathed upon into this point. But with humanity, because we bear his image, God does something completely different. And in doing so, putting his mark on us, so to speak, he gave us dominion over all that he created to care for, to steward, and to cultivate all of the creation. And then, by the power of his word, he blesses humanity with the mandate to flourish. He tells us to be fruitful and to multiply, to further fill the emptiness of the earth with more and more image bearers. Now, I believe today it's possible for us to experience the the blessing of God's word, the, the, the order that God's word brings to life, the peace that God's word brings to life as we experience the law as it's been given to us. Now, the law is not sufficient to save. The law is not sufficient to give righteousness, but the law is sufficient to, to bring about that, that first intended order in our lives if we will only submit our lives to God's word, if we would only bring our lives under it. But the law is insufficient and it's powerless to help us fully experience the long-lasting, life-giving power of Christ. It's been evident, as we'll see coming up next, that we are bent towards rejecting God's word. Like the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, we reject God's word. And in doing so, rejection of God's word results in decreation. Maybe deconstruction might be a word that might resonate with you. Everything God established in creation, it began to unravel the very moment humanity, the ones that God created to bear his image, the ones God had entrusted his creation to steward, to cultivate, to, to bring flourishing in it and of it, all of that began to fall apart the very moment we rejected God's word. We know it as the fall. And what we experience in the fallout of it is a sense of decreation. Romans chapter 8 verse 20 tells us that as a result of the fall, as the result of what happens in Genesis chapter 3, the whole creation was subjected, was plunged into futility. We begin to see havoc permeate the order that God has already brought about as rejection of the word of God causes alienation from the God of the word. Let me say that again. As we reject the word of God, alienation is experienced from the God of the word. You see, as image bearers, we were created to enjoy close fellowship with our creator forever. But to reject God's word is to reject God himself. And one of the direct effects of rejecting God's word is that we begin to experience death. Friends, death was never a part of the mandate of, the, of God's original design. But in rejecting his word and choosing our own way, we plunged ourselves and the whole of creation into brokenness. Havoc ensues in our lives and in the created order. 
And as we see God issuing the consequences of rejecting his word in Genesis 3, we see this hospitable home that he's created for us, it's, it begins to become inhospitable. We experience this in the world today, not only through the struggle of our toil and our work, maybe feeling as though it's futile, it's not really uh, leading towards anything, but I believe we also uh, experience this as the creation seems to assault humanity with various natural disasters. You think about the earthquakes we've experienced, even recently, hurricanes, volcanic eruptions, uh, tsunamis, tornadoes. None of this was a part of God's original design. But as a result of the decreation we experience because of the rejection of God's word, it's made manifest. And it doesn't take very long either as we continue to read through the Genesis narrative beyond chapters one through three to see the, the further effects of the fall. Humanity is dehumanized. As we read in, in Genesis chapter four, we see the very first account of an image bearer taking the life of another image bearer. And what makes this an even more egregious and heinous act is that it happens not just between any two people, but that it happens between brothers. Instead of living out the mandate to flourish given in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, a direct effect of the fall of rejecting God's word is that flourishing immediately begins to flounder. By the time we reach Genesis chapter 6, a few generations removed from the original rejection of God's word, the Bible says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only, of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You see, anytime rejection of God's word takes place, it grieves God to his heart because it sets us down a path. I believe humanity collectively and us individually, us personally, it sets us down a path that God never intended for us to go. When, God, when we reject God's word, we experience the very opposite of what he set forth for us in creation, and it grieves his heart. I think we see this pattern over and over again in the scriptures. God acts through his word, he establishes order, he makes a hospitable home so that humanity might fulfill the mandate to flourish and image him in the world that is, and because of the original rejection of God's word, we might call it original sin, what is experienced is decreation. Because time and time again, in the face of God's providence, in the face of God's, God's goodness, we reject his word. And we see this unfortunate pattern in the nation of Israel, beginning with the patriarchs. God came and spoke, revealed himself to Abram, who became Abraham, and essentially gave him a promise to make him a great nation. One so great that, they, that it, they would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. You ever tried to number the sand? He said that they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Have you ever tried to number the stars in the night sky? And God's promise to Abraham is that he would make them a great people and that 
all the people of the planet, every person on planet earth for generations to come would experience the blessing of God through this people, Israel. But it required them embracing God's word. They had to embrace the promise that God is who he says he is and he would do what he says he would do. But time and time again, they failed. Time and time again, we fail. And the law then exposed, it exposes how weak they were and it exposes how weak we are to live out the reality that God set forth all because of our tendency to reject God's word. But God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his grace did not want to leave us in a place where we would continue to experience this broken cycle of decreation. So to remedy and rescue us from this cycle of brokenness, Christ, Jesus, God's incarnate word, he comes to bring about recreation. Not recreation, recreation. In the outset of his gospel account, John not only tells us that the word was at the beginning with God and how things were created through him and how he was God himself, but that Later on in the passage, verse 14, he says that the word became flesh. Now, being clothed in humanity, Christ comes to make all things new. He says this in Revelation chapter 21.5, and we, we look eagerly towards the reality of that being made manifest both in time and in history. As we are experiencing that, even in our inner man, as the Bible tells us, we want to see that happen and break out in the world that is. But Christ has come to make all things new. He comes to reverse the effects of the curse enacted in all creation, beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, he begins to render things like death. He begins to render the effects of the fall toothless in the lives of those who trust in his holy name. One of the most encouraging realities of what it means to be found in Christ, I think, is found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, look, see, the new has come. Jesus gives us new perspective on how we're to live in this present world. Although we experience the effects of the fall, how inhospitable this, this home, this earth is because of it, we are given the promise of a new home, the promise of heaven. In John 14, Jesus admonishes his disciples, he admonishes the, them then and us now to take courage as they journey through this world. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because they are one and the same. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And he goes on to say, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see, this earth is not our home. As disciples of Jesus, we are pilgrim travelers who have been both rescued and redeemed. If you have your Bibles, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2 and see the glorious work of God as he has rescued and redeemed us as his people. 
Ephesians chapter two begins in verse one and it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is even now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, carrying out the passions of our flesh, carrying out the, the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he has seated us with him, with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, as, as time passes, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the incarnate word repurposes who we are. It shifts the, the trajectory and the perspective of our life here in the world that is. No longer are we scratching and struggling and pressing in in the way those who are, are alienated from God. He has rescued and redeemed us for his glory. And there is an amazing reality that in Christ, flourishing is now redefined. In the mandate given in Genesis chapter one, the, the flourishing was to fill the earth with image bearers, which because of that point, there was only one man and one woman that meant procreation. But as Christ the incarnate word has redefined what flourishing looks like. I believe we see what that means when we look to Matthew chapter 28 and what we have come to know as the Great Commission. Here it's written, Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey, to embrace all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, God's desire is still to see the earth filled with image bearers, but through Christ's finished work on the cross, we no longer have to live under the cycles of brokenness and decreation that we've experienced because of the original rejection of God's word. Jesus establishes his kingdom when he comes and he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead and all who believe in his name can step into a new reality. And, and the work that Jesus accomplishes, this recreation that he, that he brings about, it can never be undone. It's forever. The encouraging and exciting thing that Jesus says, I believe in, in John chapter 17, is that everyone that the Father gives him, he loses none of them. So now being found in him, we are safe and we are secure. 
The reality of the home that we are headed for is, is, is safe. It is secure. We, we lean into that and we leverage our lives to make disciples in a way that brings about flourishing in the world that is for the glory of God. But the reality is we have to, we have to begin to lean into the incarnate word of God and trust that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. As we proclaim the good news of God, we can have the same confidence that the, that the apostle has, where he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This is the new mandate that we've been given in Christ Jesus. We are still to, to be fruitful and to multiply, but it is to bring a many myriad of souls into his kingdom by the proclamation of his word. And this is nothing that, that we bring about in and of ourselves. We, we have no power to change the heart and to rescue the soul. But God in his grace uses us as his instruments of redemption. One of the greatest illustrations that I've heard more recently is that just as a carpenter's tools are not responsible to build the house, because the carpenter is, in like fashion, we are not responsible to build God's kingdom, to save and ransom souls. We are tools, we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands to bring about the manifestation of his grace and to bring about his kingdom in the world that is. So as we come to this passage tonight, we want to lean into the reality of the power of God's word because it is still living he is still active. He is still on the move and he is still rescuing. Would you pray with me tonight? Our Father, we love you. And we are so grateful that you have spoken in times past. You have revealed yourself in times past. As we, humanity as a whole, experience this broken cycle of hearing you speak hearing your revelation, but rejecting and experiencing decreation. We thank you that you have spoken in these last days. You have revealed yourself to us through the person of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for the work that you began when you came to this earth, when you died on the cross, when you rose from the grave, the work that was completed, but the work that you are continuing to do in our lives as time passes. You're calling people to yourself to live in a new reality, to no longer live in this broken cycle, but to experience newness of life in you. God, would you, in these next few moments, as we step into a moment of response, would you open the eyes of our heart to see the places where we might still be rejecting your word, the places that we are still experiencing decreation, so to speak, because we are not embracing the fullness of who you are, Jesus, the living word. Would you lead us to repentance? Would you allow us to experience forgiveness? Would you allow us to walk in newness of life by your grace and by the power of your spirit? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.